Hi there, it's Tracy, and I have a special bonus episode for you today. But before we get started, I have a question. Have you ever wanted to learn more about your family's past, but not sure where to begin? Over the years, we've had people reach out to us, sharing how much they've enjoyed listening to the show, and that they've wanted to ask questions to learn more about their own family's history, but are either too scared or don't know where to start. Well, good news, we've created the VBP Conversation Kit. It's a deck of cards with 48 questions to help you start the conversation, including a quick timeline of major historical events and how to record your stories and share them on the VBP Journeys Collective. We hope the kit will help make the process less intimidating and more fun for families to share stories at home. So check it out at vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash share. You're listening to the podcast Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng and welcome back. Hi, I'm Saoling Nguyen, associate producer for Vietnamese Boat People. I'm here to introduce a very special episode featuring the first ever VBP listening party. Last year, members of our team gathered to listen to and discuss episode 31, The Escape. This season four episode is a story of the Jin family. If it's been a while, I recommend you go back and listen to it as a refresher. Here's a quick recap of the story. Growing up in New Jersey, Peter Jin and his siblings would hear endless stories of how his parents fled Vietnam. When the war ended, Peter's father, Nhung Jin, a former pilot in the South Vietnam Air Force, reported for re-education camp as required by the new communist government. He thought it would last a few days, but days turned into weeks, months, and then eventually four years. During that time, he was moved to several different remote camps without his family's knowledge. Peter's mom, Thin Jin, a young woman in her early 20s, would spend the next few years searching for her husband, planning his escape from the camp, and ultimately finding a path for them out of the country. Today, Peter reflects on the stories with great admiration for his parents and a desire to fill in the missing pieces. We hope that our listening party inspires you to talk about and engage with the stories featured on Vietnamese Boat People. Feel free to use this as a rough guide or get creative and find out what works for you. Now, let's start the episode. What did you already know about this episode's subject matter before listening to The Escape? And we referred to a lot of different um, things in this episode, but re-education is a big component. I don't think we've covered that as in-depth as we did here. Did anybody have family members that went to re-education camp? Uh, not a Vietnamese one, but I went. they went to the American one. Your great-grandfather, right? Uh, grandfather, yeah. Grandfather, yeah, all of them. So I don't like them. Were they open about their experiences or, you know, closed off about it? uh they were they were pretty open about it one thing i i find really interesting about all these stories is how quiet the dads usually are in terms of like vietnamese refugee stories seems pretty consistent in a lot of our interviews about how they don't talk 
about it. Uh, my grandpa in the Japanese one was, he talks about it a lot. I think time is a factor. When more time has passed, people start to let their guard down a little bit and perhaps share experiences. Um, so I don't know, like with your grandfather, if you felt like he's always talked about his, his time at, at the um, camps or if it was something that later on when he was older, he was a lot more open about it. I think I, I've been, I think about this a lot, like since I was a kid, I think a lot of it too is his access, easy access to a Japanese American community. Um, and depending on, on, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a refugee, but it, I imagine it's been really difficult for people immigrating uh, to the U.S. and then having no one to talk to. It's kind of really Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if everybody on the call knows Matt's family history or just what he's referring to. So maybe just give them a short summary. I know because I've known you for a couple of years now, but maybe for the others on the call. Yes, uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, um, the Japanese side, and his father and his sister and his mom were all in the Japanese American internment camps in the United States during World War II um, as after, after Pearl Harbor. So um, that's where they were. Yeah, my great-grandfather was in a federal camp. So they lived, the FBI just came to their house in Watsonville and just took him away. And they didn't know where he was for three years. And then they got put in a camp in Arizona as American citizens, yeah. Kind of back to Tracy's point where it's like the timing aspect because with kind of the Vietnamese refugee story, it's it was more recent than maybe their time period. So maybe it was a little bit more, they've reached you know that point in time where they are able to kind of communicate it more, share the stories. And now we're kind of just, kind of getting there with opening up totally yeah and i think the circumstances of each war each war was different too like sure um, yeah i do feel like there's at least a 25 to 30 year delay on any kind of emotional sharing um this is not related to the vietnamese uh american war but during french colonial times Apparently, my mom's um, father was briefly imprisoned by the French because they mistook him for his brother, who was part of a rebellion. And my mom did not know this until my grandma told me a few years ago. And her dad has, um, he passed away before I was even born. So the story was just, you know, rattling around in family lore, but no one really knew about it, no one confirmed it. And then all of a sudden I was talking to my grandma in Vietnam and she just dropped that. She's like, oh yeah, your, your grandpa, he was imprisoned by the French. And um, I don't know if my mom knows any more than that, but it just goes to show that, yeah, it takes a lot out of um, certain people, especially Vietnamese men to open up about anything. Sometimes they never do. Sometimes they don't think it's a big deal. Like they're like, what? That was happening all the time when I was growing up. Like that wasn't, you know, uncommon. They don't think their story is, is interesting, but yet there's so many layers of it. What new things did you learn? I think 
you know, it goes hand in hand with what we just talked about. Um, but I can start. And this is more about the experience of this listening party than the episode itself. But I never knew how vulnerable it would make me to listen to one of these episodes with other people. I've never done that before. I know logically people listen to us. That's the whole point of what we do. But it's another to experience it with people and to um, learn about someone's vulnerability. It's like the hard, um, you know, the harshest times in their lives while virtually sitting um, with other people and knowing that everyone has a connection to the story in, in some way or shape or form. That, I know, that was new. Totally. Uh, uh, you verbalized it really well. I was like, that's what I was feeling. I Vulnerable. Got that. Yeah. Were there any other takeaways? I guess it was more of just like, you know, his dad really talking and, or all, you know, his mom and all that stuff talking about like the, the intricacies and the details of like their escape. Um, it was like so vivid. I like felt like I was like a fly in the wall or like following them around as they were kind of going through like literally their step-by-step of their escape plan. Um, I mean, not that I, not that that's new, but I just feel like each story obviously like has a unique like escape like route or a different way of them escaping. So that's always new because once like when we always talk about, you know, the refugees fleeing and, you know, they're by boat or things like that, but it's still different within that same story, which I find fascinating. Um, Cause there's, again, it's always like the layers that are beneath it. Um, so just hearing their story on like how was different from the other stories that we've heard too. The next prompt is what part or parts of the story stuck out um, to you the most? I think that, um, and this happens in some of the other podcasts too, but when you start to hear them speak Vietnamese, I think it kind of changes the way the story sounds. I don't know if this makes sense to anybody else, but there's there's a slight difference between hearing the, the Vietnamese and hearing the English translation. And it's not that things are necessarily lost in translation. I think the Vietnamese just makes it feel like it's coming from a relative and it just makes the story feel more personal. So we got like little bits in that. And then, you know, Tracy does a great job of translating because my Vietnamese is not good enough to, to really understand what they're saying all the time. But uh, yeah, I just think like the the intonation and kind of like the, the meter at which people speak Vietnamese is, makes the story just feel different than if, if it was just to be in English the whole time. Yeah, I totally agree. It's kind of like, I felt like I was sitting with his mom as she was kind of walking through, like we were at the kitchen table as she was sharing that story to me personally. So that was, um, that feeling was very intimate. Yeah, one of the most interesting parts about this episode for me was um, the fact that, well, it's layered, but uh, Jing, the woman, she speaks with a Northern accent, which is um, what I you know, speak with. And that's often not the case when it comes to the Vietnamese diaspora. It's mostly um, Southern, but you know, I had to be um, the one translating her dialogue and also editing her portion. And so I felt like I 
connected with her the most. And she really does remind me of my mom in both speech patterns, but also the way she shows the unconditional love. And I don't think we would have gotten that um, emotional connection had it all been in English. Because she does speak English, and she did for part of the episode. But I think it's only when she was allowed to just speak um, in Vietnamese, she was when she became more comfortable sharing what she did. I also find Peter's um, point of view and what he shared is so relatable. Like, I feel like as descendants of refugees, we all have that just internal connection to our parents' sacrifices and um, just this like a sense of appreciation that is, that we feel like can never be very well articulated in words, right? There's just kind of like this bond that we have with our parents and what they've struggled. And so just listening to him and his appreciation of his mom and his observations of who she is as an individual and the sacrifices she made, I felt like it was very relatable. I feel like a lot of us feel that way about our parents, whether or not we have a good relationship with our parents, we have um, similar feelings about what they had to go through. I mean, I guess for a lot of us, the most obvious mm, relatable aspect is Peter's story, because he does represent a lot of the second and 1.5 generation who did not live through the experiences, but are going through a journey of soul searching, of trying to uncover all of these stories that people have only briefly talked about, if ever. The dad describing sort of his last days before the fall of Saigon, like, I don't know, it felt like a movie. Like, I felt like I could visualize a war movie, right, of the events unfolding. And a, and a soldier's trying to figure out what the heck is going on and just kind of making these like last minute decisions out of fear. I don't know, what did you guys, did you have that same feeling when you were listening to his, you know, what he had to go through? Yeah, I think I couldn't agree more because I, I think it's also just the two of them, the level of detail that they gave, it wasn't like high level um, but it was just so like, there was just so much details involved that like, I, I too felt like I was watching them or I was there, uh, it felt very real. Um, and I, you know, going back to kind of what we were saying earlier, um, you know, a lot of Vietnamese people don't open up about it, or maybe they're just beginning to, and it's also kind of like in baby steps. So even if they're beginning to open up, it's not going to be to that level. Um, so I just felt like it was awesome for them to really, and also remember, I mean, I know that's, um, hard to forget, but even just the, you know, the, the plan and like what he had to go through, like it was very, um, intricate. So. Yeah, I totally agree. That whole sequence was really cinematic and the editing helped. I wonder who did that. That's cool. <laughs> so this interview was like super long ago. <laughs> we only like recently pushed it out. Um, but I think, so to Bella's point, there was so much detail. I mean, the footage for each one of tape was like two hours long. And we net down the story to 30 minutes or less. And so Sally is right. Like we, the three of us listened to all three recordings. And then we each took a person 
and we like outline sort of here's how we envision the story to be told. And then each of us had a responsibility to cut down each of the person's interviews to then weave it together. And I feel like, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I feel like we did a really good job considering that it was so detailed, but like picking something that would make sense out of all those uh, recordings and piecing it together. Um, and it did feel very cinematic to me. Like I just, you know, listening to the dad describe it, I was like, oh my gosh, this could be like a film. Like it just, it just the details of like the fall of Saigon in his last few days. And then the mom, I totally agree. I felt like I was like hanging out with my aunt at the kitchen table, you know, a lot of hand gestures from her and like facial expressions. So stuff like that. And it was, um, yeah, it was kind of the first one I think that we did that interweaves sort of like three different voices that were recorded at three different times, by the way. And what's really good about this is that their stories matched up. Because sometimes when you do recordings of three people, you kind of get different variations. But like their story totally matched up. Well, the next prompt is what did you find surprising? It can be about a story or how it made you feel or how you connected with certain people. I think a lot of people will be able to identify with, uh, you know, getting, making their way, escaping to a Malaysian refugee camp, and then making their way to uh, uh, the U.S. with the, I can't remember if in this one they got a, got to uh, a U.S. refugee camp, um, but I think comforting is not the right word. I think familiar is the best word that like, oh, other people went on this journey also, right? And um, it's something that we can all share together if and kind of process together. I do find it comforting to know that um, none of us are alone with our experiences. So it is a bittersweet comfort to think how many people have this as their background, as their family history. Totally. And also being able to put faces and voices to an experience like when you think of when you think of people being forced to flee a country you know what they say like a hundred thousand is a big number right was whatever the however that saying goes one death is a tragedy a million is a statistic it's the same for kind of refugee stories and each one of these those numbers is is a story Right, and to hear it, it's really powerful. So I know that my dad left Vietnam a few years after the war ended. Um, so he, he stuck around in Da Nang for a while. And then when he did finally leave, he ended up in uh, the Hong Kong refugee camp um, before coming to actually Canada first. Um, yeah, And then on my mom's side, she had the whole like boat journey to these different islands where they get pulled back out to sea and stuff a lot of the stuff from i don't remember which season it was but there was one season where this was happening in like every other episode you mean like boat pushback yeah yeah that was pretty common in the by the early 80s so this story um to, to matt's point feels familiar right um what about you anthony do you know 
about my folks yeah uh, mostly about my dad's story my mom's is not so much um my dad came by boat um um what i'm actually more interested in is actually about my grandfather's like experience when he was actually um um in prison because he he was actually um a, a policeman so that's something that my dad had kind of just glanced over and i didn't get a chance to really dive deep yet um but yeah that's something i want to talk to him about well i wish you luck with that it's tough to get those conversations started but hey we have a conversation kit for it you have, if you ever need some Most help definitely. <laughs> Right. Our last prompt is, what questions do you still have? And this can be about the people um, in the episode or the process of forming the story, whatever you can think of. I, I guess this is something I'm still struggling with is, you know, you do, you, you said like the footage was like two hours of raw interview going on and you boiled it down to, um, you know, 30 minutes. So how does, how do you decide what stays and what goes? So there's a lot of listening <laughs> to raw recording. And I know Sally knows this, Matt knows this. Um, especially for me, like I will listen to a raw recording like several times and then just pick the sort of what I call the arc of their story. Um, and then everything falls around that. Um, so, you know, kind of like the plot of a book. So when you listen, when you listen to their entire story, because some of these interviews are like from the beginning, I was born in this city. My parents did this, you know, type of business. I was one of eight kids. I mean, some of them start from the very beginning and we want that because sometimes there's nuggets in parts of that story, but then sometimes it is a way to build trust for the list, for the interviewer um, and the interviewee is just kind of allowing that conversation to happen organically, getting to know each other before you get to sort of the deep stuff, right? And so we don't rush any of that. And that's why some of the interviews are that long. Um, <laughs> we could probably be more efficient, <laughs> but it's hard. And I'll tell you, like, this is um, something that it's hard because to our point earlier, a lot of our interviewees haven't talked about this in so long, right? Or haven't talked about this openly. And now they're talking about it openly to a stranger. So I think it's important to give them the space that they need to slowly share versus being very, um, you know, pointed and what you're trying to find out. And so that's our process. And I think it actually um, allows us to capture the story in great detail, but also from a very authentic perspective. It doesn't, we're not prompting for any of this. Like none of our questions prompt for anything specific. Um, but I think based on then defining, well, this is the most fascinating piece of their story and we haven't covered this in the other episodes, allows us to then go through all the audio again and start finding the sound bites that then builds up to that plot. And then we always try to end in a positive inspirational note um, because you know, no matter how traumatic or sad or difficult the journey was, um, a lot of our interviewees are in a place where 
they're either still healing or they feel a sense of closure or they're still processing. And our listeners are like, I think Sally said it earlier, our listeners are also going through something similar. So we try to end with those types of messages or feelings where our listeners could relate to. Yeah, Jin's audio alone was close to three hours. And it was mostly in Vietnamese. And I, <laughs> I, you know, I complained to Darlena at the time. I was like, you don't get it. I don't know if I can do this. But then she talked me off the ledge and just said, no, cut it down and then translate. And that was better. Um, so like the process of cutting down her story was difficult because she is such a well of information. I was shocked at how much detail she remembered. And, um, and that's why I think a bulk of the story about the process of planning the escape is from her perspective because she was the one doing most of it and she has all the details. And, um, you know, cutting that down to just what we hear in the episode was very tough because you can, uh, or at least I could tell that she didn't talk about it often and and you want to give each person um, the space they need to share what is most important to them. And I just hope that we did them all justice. That's all I can ever hope for. Yeah, I mean, we would never be able to tell anyone's story in like 30 minutes or less, right? Like that's just very impossible. Um, but yeah, to just kind of hone in on a specific point of their story really helps. And I don't know how many versions we had, Sally, probably like over 20 probably. versions. Probably. Yeah, just yeah. we kept chopping, chopping, chopping. And so it starts off as like a one and a half hour episode and then it goes down. And I know Matt, when you did second gen, with uh, Trisha and Jackie, it was the same way, right? We had like this big spreadsheet. That was our other episode where we had three different interviewees interwoven into the theme of like trauma and how it affects descendants um, and what we carry forward as children of refugees. Um, but yeah, Matt, I think that took us months. That was a lot that of, that wasn't just a lot of listening. That was like, finding sections in everybody's story and then making them all match <laughs> yeah so that was it I was pretty proud of that one yeah and so I mean 30 minutes doesn't seem long but a lot of months go into editing and producing a 30 minute episode in addition to the four hour interview <laughs> right yeah, sending a lot of praise to you three. Um, I think you guys do such a fabulous job here. I mean, um, not doing any comparisons, but I, I remember doing this exact same thing with my dad like five years ago. And we sat down for a good like two and a half hours, like in the kitchen. We we're just talking. And I, I took I I mean, he's he's told his story many times throughout my life, like early on. Um, but I just kind of said, OK, we're going to record this this time. We're going to actually have the questions and we're going to just get it right here. So we don't have to like do this again in another few more years. So um, I can understand. And I actually used that to, uh, to write my um, bar artifact story for the journey maps. So, um, but yeah, there's so many details that I had to leave out um, and there's so much more to tell, but again, I mean, maybe for a different format. Yeah, but now you have that 
recording with your dad, right? That unedited, uncut version. And yep. that's just priceless. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts or feelings from anyone? This was nice. I'd do it again. <laughs> I'm glad. Everybody missed out. They did. They're working. Oh, whatever. On a Wednesday? <laughs> No, this is fun. Thank you so much, um, everyone, for attending and Sally for organizing and leading this. Yeah, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I'm glad that we took, you know, the, the leap and made this happen. I hope that it will be helpful for anyone outside the team who wants to have their own listening party in whatever kind of structure they want. And the, um, you know, the goal is to eventually have in-person listening parties because I think that's when the magic happens you know like this is great but it's no Joshua tree and I hope <laughs> <laughs> that people can take this and run with it and eventually when the world opens back up a little bit they can gather and find some semblance of vulnerability in spaces like this because I think it's rare especially for those of us who are no longer in school and who are missing that kind of structured um, setting where, you know, you're kind of forced to be vulnerable and to open up a little. I hope that what, if people do this in the future, that they take a moment to share their own personal stories. I think by listening to other people's stories, it somehow gives you comfort and permission to be able to share your own. And um, hopefully that's what the listening parties will create. Well, thank but you, th everyone. No one brought a cocktail but me. Uh, was I like talking <laughs> gibberish? <laughs> no, I was crunched on time. I wouldn't, I would be drinking otherwise. Yeah, next time, next time I'll bring a drink. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm yeah. still uh, working hours on the West Coast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, same here, Brandon. <laughs> It's never too early for a cocktail. Yeah. <laughs>